presence is good, isn't it? Um, We sang a lot about his presence this morning, but did you know that he delights to be in your presence as well? Amen. And um, Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 8, and I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. But it's talking, here wisdom is speaking, and wisdom is um, representative of Jesus. And so it's wisdom, or Jesus speaking, and it says... um, When he set in place the pillars of the earth and spoke the decrees of the sea, commanding the waves so that they wouldn't overstep their boundaries, I was there close to the creator's side as his master artist. Daily he was filled with delight in me as I playfully rejoiced before him. I laughed and played, so happy with what he had made while finding my delight in the children of men. So we delight in him, but he also delights in us. So, so good morning. Um, I am excited to be up here and allowed to, to share with y'all today. And um, I'm just going to share what the Lord's placed in, in my heart um, for the church. Um, I think we're very fortunate to be a part of a body that our pastor teaches us um, our identity and who we are. And and the goodness of God, and um, we press in for signs and wonders, and we believe in, in healing and the abundant life that Jesus provided. Um, and along with that culture, with living and being in part of that culture in church, <clears throat> excuse me, um, there's something that we don't really talk about a lot, and it's like the pink elephant in the room if you will, Um, and it's about disappointment because not everybody we pray for gets healed. Not everybody we are believing for lives. But beyond health, you know, we all find ourselves in situations where it doesn't seem like there's an abundant life, you know, and so I just want to speak about that this morning to kind of bring it out into the light because I, I believe that if it's back in your mind, if it's something that you're thinking about but you never really express it, you know, there's room for the enemy to get in there. And so I just want to expose that um, and to talk about that this morning. Um, so I think there's several keys, thank you, several keys to, um, to that, you know. God's word is true. No matter what, God's word is true. And for the past two years, I was very fortunate to be a part of a school um, in Greensboro um, that talked about supernatural ministry and lifestyle and stuff. And so some of this I have learned from there. But um, God's word is true. We know that he wants us well. He's come to give us an abundant life. We know that he is good and that he only gives good gifts. He is a good daddy. He's protective of us, and he loves us passionately. And sometimes our life experiences doesn't necessarily seem like it matches up to that. And what we have to be careful of is that if God's word is here, and that's the truth, that's true. And so if our life experience is here, 
we can't bring God's word to come down to match our experience. We have to know this is truth and this is the fact. This is the fact of what's happening and what's going on and what we're seeing, but this is truth. And I think it's important as a church to learn how to persevere. You have to persevere in this walk. There, um, but how do you do that? When, and as I was looking at, through this, and it was for me personally, originally when I started, um, you know, just seeking God in this, um, I looked up perseverance. And in the King James Version, the word perseverance is translated patience. And so then I went a little bit further, and in the Strong's Concordance, where it talks about patience, that word means cheerful endurance. Never thought of it as being cheerful. You know, you talk about persevering and being patient, and you're kind of like, you're just stoning, you're just going for it. I think that's a part of it, but there's this cheerful part of it that we've kind of like let fall by the wayside. And um, not that I do this at all perfectly. Um, but that there's a, a cheerful endurance, this perseverance, that we're supposed to persevere and to push on. Um, and so this is going to be a little bit of repeat for those who come frequently. Um, I think of myself more of a storyteller, so I'm going to tell the story. One of, one of the things that I found out is going to this school that I went to the last two years is that I'm a big picture person. Like, I guess I've always known that, but now actually, like, I see the big picture. I don't want to know the details. I am a big picture person. And so I think it's really important that when you're, you're looking at God's promises and you're looking at his word, that you understand the big picture of, of his story and that your foundation is correct. Like, you know, you know it. Like, you, it's in your bones. It's, in, it's just in your being. So I'm going to start at Genesis. And I know I started at Genesis last time that I talked, but I like Genesis. It's the beginning. It's where everything gets started. If you got stuff missing in Genesis, then, you know, you, you kind of lose it. So anyway, so I'm going to tell a story, but I'm going to start in um, Genesis, and it's after creation. And God created man, and when he created man, he gave him the purpose to go and tend the garden and to extend it. That was basically to have dominion over all of the animals and that he would extend the garden. And then, of course, we all know what happened, and man fell. And with that, you know, um, Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden. You ever wondered why? Like, I think for me, at one point in time, when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, I thought it was just kind of mean. Like, that, that was just kind of mean. Like, he kicked them out. And, there's, and I know that they sinned, but, you know, that he kicked them out. But it was really very loving what God did because if you read it, it says that the reason why God kicked them out of the garden is so they would not eat of the tree of life because he loved them so much he did not want them to eat of the tree of life and then forever be doomed in that sin state because he knew he was sending the Redeemer. Okay? So Adam and Eve failed. What they did was they obeyed Satan. They decided to put their trust in Satan. They didn't believe God's word. That They were already like God, but the devil came up and was like, you know, he, he changed God's word just a little bit. Like just enough to make Eve go, well, I don't start her questioning. And Satan offered her something she already had. She just didn't know it. She was already like God. But he said, if you eat of this fruit, it will make you like God. 
So anyway, they um, then handed their authority of earth over to the devil. Okay? And so now he had everything. Mankind, at this level, looking at it from the natural standpoint, mankind was doomed because they were now disconnected from God. They had obeyed the devil. Sin, death, disease, all entered in. I mean, everything changed at that point. But there was still that hope. God had promised in the curse that he would send the Redeemer, Eve's seed, that it, a Redeemer was coming to redeem. And so they, I, I want you to understand the depravity of humanity. Like they were destined to die. Everything evil entered in. The devil had full reign of the earth. He could do whatever he wanted to whoever he wanted, and people would listen. Like they had no way that sin nature was produced. And so the devil was victorious for a long time. And you fast forward many years, and um, I often wonder why it took Jesus so long to come. Like, why didn't he just come the next day? Why wasn't he the first child of Eve? And, and I don't really know that this is true, but I thought, well, this makes sense. But I heard a teacher one time say that it was because God needed men to prophesy who the Christ was to be. That he needed a man because he, they needed a man to speak all the prophecies that Jesus was to fulfill to make them come to pass because our words are powerful. We were still created in the image of God even though we were in a fallen state. So all these people, their words still had power to create. So fast forward, and Jesus was born. And he was born, the Bible says he was born of a woman, and he was born under the law because he had to be a man. Like, because I've wondered, too, why did, why did Jesus have to die? Like, why did God choose it to be that way? Why did it have to be Jesus to suffer and to die and to take all the sin on? Like, why couldn't there have been another way? But because of the way God set up creation and he gave man the authority, it had to be a man. And he had to live a perfect life. And so Jesus was born of a woman, and he fulfilled the law. And um, he was crucified. He was beaten. He was crucified. And the Bible says that he became curse and he became sin. All of that was placed on Jesus. And so Jesus died. And then three days later, he rose again. And that's it. Everything, he said it was finished. He did everything. He accomplished everything on the cross. In the New Testament, it's called, our term saved is sozo in the Greek. In sozo, I'm going to read that. Sozo is translated in the King James Version to save, to be healed, to, pres to preserve, and to be made whole. And the definition is to save, to deliver, to protect, to heal, preserve, save, to do well, and to be made whole. So what Jesus did was not just give you a new birth, not to undermine that. That is the greatest miracle that there is. You know, when Nicodemus came to Jesus and they were talking, um, and Jesus said that you must be born again, 
and then he's talked about be born of the spirit and not born of the flesh, but you're born of the spirit. Like, have you ever wondered what your spirit looks like before you're born again? Like, what, is it just small and crumbled and weak? And then you hear this good news that Jesus came and it wasn't just a, it is to save you from hell, to save you from the devil. It is that. And so there's this new birth and there's this new spirit that's empowered. And the Bible says it's just like Jesus, that, that you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's what happens at the new birth. And that is just the beginning. Because Jesus told his disciples, he said, it's better that I go away so that the one that's promised will come. The helper will come. The promise of the father will come. So Jesus died to give you new life. So you have that new birth. So you are born again but it's so you can receive the Holy Spirit. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Todd was talking out of Ezekiel 47. You know, it's where we get our verse about everywhere the river flows, life will come. And as we was speaking, it was the first time I'd ever seen it this way. But you know how sometimes when you're talking to somebody and, and they're trying to understand, okay, well, when you're, you get saved, you get the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit that, that you talk about? Like, what, what is that? So you're trying to break it down and, and explain to them that it's, you do have the Holy Spirit, but then the baptism is different. It's the second thing. And I saw it as clear as I've ever seen it before in Ezekiel. It talks about that there's the temple of God. And I saw it as the new believer. It may mean other things, but I saw it as a New Testament believer that we're the temple of God. So that's the first. That's our new spirit. That's us receiving Jesus. We're the temple of God. And then it talks about a river that flows out from the temple. That's the baptism. Because Jesus said that we would have wells of living water in us, and it would come out of our bellies or out of our heart, depending on your translation. And so that, that, is, that was like a perfect example for me for how it's to look. Yes, you're the temple of God. Immediately you get saved. You are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. You get baptized, and then the river flows. And that's where you come with power and with love, and you're equipped to do everything that you're supposed to do. Okay, so when Jesus died and we became this new creation, we have, it reinstates that assignment he gave Adam. Take dominion and spread the kingdom or the garden. And so we have an assignment. And I think it's really important to understand that when Jesus died, it settled everything. Like you don't have to worry about your sin anymore. And I know that that's contrary sometimes to what we've learned in church, that you've got to make sure that you're not sinning and you've got to do this right and you've got to start looking a certain way and you've got to start behaving a certain way. And while there is truth to that, it's in, it's in relationship. The Lord will put his hand on something when it's time for you to change it. You know, you, you just learn who you are and you love on your father and you stay in his presence. And, um, but that's not it. See, Jesus settled sin. He didn't want us to go back and pick up sin because if you're constantly worrying about your sin, where are your thoughts at? It's, it's on yourself. And I believe the same thing is true for everything in life. Like I know I've struggled with um, being in pain and things with just different things. And what pain will do is it makes you very inward focused. You're constantly thinking, well, I can't do like this because it'll hurt. I can't stand like that because it'll hurt. And I can't do this. And, and it hurts. And it just makes you so self-focused that you can't do what you're called to do. You can't bring the kingdom because you're so concerned about yourself. So it's not only your health, but it's everything that makes you turn inward. Jesus set us free from that. 
I mean, because he, we have a job to do. You are each powerful, you are each important, and you're needed in the kingdom. There's only one person that can express Jesus the way you can, and he wants you to do it. And he wants you to do it powerfully and with authority. But we have these struggles that make us turn inward. So God's truth is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom in all areas. Freedom. And it's not freedom to sin and do whatever you want. It's freedom from yourself. Because I think that's what happened when Adam and Eve fell. It says that they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed. They became self-aware. They were no longer God-aware and, and seeing everything in God. They were self-aware. And so if we have been set free... We can't be self-aware anymore. So what do we do when we're still in these situations where you are in pain or you have a sin that you've struggled with or you have a loved one who's not returned home? You've got these promises, but you're not seeing it happen. And this is where the perseverance comes in. You have to persevere. Well, how do you do that? How do you cheerfully endure and you stay true to who God's called you to be and you know where, where you're going? <coughs> And, you know, the Bible talks about, well, first we have to have faith, right? And to have faith, you have to know what God's Word says. So you have to get into God's Word, and you have to know what it says, and that's going to build faith in you. But what's, what's really interesting is, you know, faith is um, defined in Hebrews 11.1. 1, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hope is really important in your perseverance. You have to have hope. If you lose your hope... The enemy's already won. Like, you've got to stay hopeful. So how do you get this hopeful? And so as I was reading this, and I've heard people say this before, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's true. That's good. But, you know, when the Holy Spirit speaks, it's like he just puts it in your heart, and you see it, your eyes open. You're like, oh, my gosh, how have I missed this? Like, I've heard it, and I knew it, but I've never known it. And what it is is this thing called faith. You know, they say that if you're in fear, that you just have faith in, in the devil, and you don't have faith in God, that, that fear and faith are on the same thing, you know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's true, I can see that, but years ago, I've struggled with fear in my life, and years ago, somebody asked me why I was so fearful, and I was like, it's because it's the unknown, you just don't know, and so fear for me was defined in not knowing, well, it dawned on me very recently that faith is defined the exact same way, it's in not knowing, but you're hopeful because you're, you know God. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. The evidence, substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen, not knowing. That's how you get faith. So I'm like, okay, all right. So like this, it, it's getting inside of me now, understanding what faith is and what hope is. And so though there are many things, the perseverance, you have to have hope. And the other thing that I think is very important is you have to live in the present the present, in the present, but in the present. Like right now, God said, he is the I am. He is the present God. And you study the other names of God, and they're all present tense. I am the Lord, your healer. I am the Lord that provides. And my, one of my favorite ones that's often not mentioned is El Roy, if that's how you pronounce it, and it's the God who sees me. I am the God who sees you. Right now, wherever you are and what you're in, he is the God that sees you. He's a present God. And I know the enemy will like to use your past and make you feel condemned. 
and make you feel guilty and shameful and try to disqualify you because he saw you that time when you did whatever it was that you did. Um, but you can't look at your past without looking at it through the blood of Jesus because it's been bought and it belongs to him and it was crucified with him. And then the enemy will also use your future in the form of anxiety and worry. But Jesus said, you know, don't worry for tomorrow, for it, it has enough worry in itself. So Jesus wants you to live present. But the, you know, the enemy will be getting you to think, well, what if this doesn't happen? And what if this happens? And what am I going to do? If, you know, and it just makes you start to, to fear in the not knowing and to be concerned with your future. And though you're supposed to live in the present, understanding that God's going to meet you now, his grace is for now, he also developed a way to pull your past and your future into your present. And I think that this is key. God wants us to look at the past, but it's only through the form of testimony. Whatever God's done for you in the past or anybody else, talk about it pull it into the present if you have a sickness in your body think about all the other times that God has helped you in your sickness or healed you in your sickness or have testimonies of somebody else being sick and God has saved them and has used it and they're walking it out that's the past that you look at is through the testimony and then the future that God wants you to use is the prophetic word who has he said you were going to do going to be where has he called you to go so you have to take the testimony of the Lord and bring it into the present and the prophetic word of your future and bring it into the present and that's where you stand is in the present knowing who God is that he's a good God um, so uh, the other day I was having um, just a difficult day at home I have three boys um, seven six and three and it's always very exciting and they like to fight a lot and they like to play a lot but they like to argue like will who's three had an imaginary baby for a while we don't have her name was joy il and we don't have her anymore um she just actually I, he said she died but we had a dog to die and so that's why it came uh, anyway i know i'm getting off topic but will had this little imaginary baby like at two and he talked to her all the time and i finally went well what are you who are you talking to he met my baby and I went, okay. Is it? And he would fuss at her. And I said, he said she was off swimming in the lake and her mommy wasn't here. And, and I said, well, is it a boy baby or a girl baby? He said, a girl baby. I said, well, what's her name? Joy Iel. I went, okay. So Joy Iel was part of our house for a long time. And Will would argue with her. Like this imaginary little person. And he would argue. I'm like, Will, what are you doing? Arguing with Joy Iel? Why are you fighting with her? I like to argue. <laughs> At two, like two years old, he fought with this imaginary person. And, and you know, it was one of those days. They're looking at me. They're touching me. Quit looking at me. He said he's not my best friend anymore. And I'm just like, what are you doing? So we went to the library, and we rented Chronicles of Narnia. And I've seen it. I think I saw it in the theater. We rented it, and we're watching it. And um. I do like to teach, so I paused the movie a lot. Be like, okay, now this is what this means. And I would talk to them, and they would be like, okay. So we'd start the movie again, and I was going, okay, Aslan represents Jesus, okay? Just know that. So we're watching it, and the boys are like, well, what's going to happen? Why, why do they look like that? Why, when's the lion coming? 
when's the witch coming? Why is she mean? You know, kept asking questions. I'm like, watch the movie. Watch the movie. So then gets to the end. They get to see Aslan. And by this time, Slade's telling me to quit pausing it. He's like, let us watch the movie. So I try to stop pausing it. And so we're watching it. And then they go, are y'all familiar with the movie or the book? And so um, Aslan had met with the witch and said that Edward, is his name? Edmund was free and um, that the, the witch had released his claim on Edmund. And um, everybody's cheering. And one of the boys, I don't remember which one, you know, at, they said, why does Aslan look sad? And I went, watch the movie. And then they waited a little while. Why, why does Lucy look sad? Like, why did she look at him like that? Watch the movie. What's going to happen? Where's he going? Why is he walking at night? Why is everybody asleep? I'm like, watch the movie. Just watch it. It's going to be good. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, don't you know that's what I say to you? about your future. Just quit asking. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. I promise you're going to win. It's going to be good. Just, just wait it out. Just watch the movie. Because, you know, God's a very good storyteller. You can read the Old Testament and the way he weaves everything in, and it's just like he's a really good storyteller, and he can use anybody. He used lots of murderers. He used people that committed adultery. I mean, he can take whatever situation, whatever junk, and he can make it glorious when you surrender to him. And so I think the Lord is saying, just wait, just, just wait, just watch it. Just walk it out. Just go through it because he's with you. And so I think we have to learn to not be scared of the enemy. You know, the enemy, where's the Bible say the enemy is? under our feet like he's under our feet and so if you have to stomp to remind yourself because you've got to talk to yourself talk to your brain and talk to your body and stomp your feet because that's where the enemy is and the lord had given me a thought one day about you know when you finally understand who you are and you have the truth and you know what jesus paid for for you to live victoriously and you finally go and you face that enemy that's there that is there before you his biggest fear is that you're going to know who you are. And if you were to stand face to face with your enemy and you were to look in your enemy's eyes, do you know what you would see in his eyes? Your reflection. And do you know what your reflection would look like? You would have eyes of fire, hair as white as wool, and a voice that thunders. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Jesus is in us. And so when we stand before our enemy, it's almost like we're standing there and we just see us. But then there's that big Aslan lion behind us roaring through us. And you have to get that vision of yourself. And I understand that there might be things that you're going through. And there, you might be wondering where your provision is or what's going to happen. But I promise you the Lord is faithful and that he is good. He is not going to leave you. He's promised that. He is good. And so you have every... I'm going to go back to Narnia. Do you know... That was such a good movie for me. Like, because I have more revelation of God's word now than I did when I saw it in the theater. And there's two, two other parts in the movie that I'm going to talk about. Um, when uh, the girls are up in the tree and the wolves come, they're trying to get them, and their brother-brother comes with the sword... And Aslan comes and steps on one of the wolves, and he looked. What's the other boy's name? The oldest? Peter. 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 
And Aslan comes and he steps on the wolf, and Peter's got the sword, and he goes, no, this is Peter's fight. Do you know that sometimes the Lord wants us to fight? Sometimes he fights those battles for us, and he wins, but there's other battles that he wants us to fight. But he's there. He's there. And he's going to back you up. But you have to have, take the risk and to stand up and to say no more to the enemy. There's one other part in the movie. That was just really good. Y'all should all go watch it again. <laughs> um, and the little fox in the movie. And I'm sorry if you've never seen this movie and you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I apologize. But the fox in the movie um, is actually helping them to escape. And he has, they're with the badgers, the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve are with the badgers and the wolves end up catching the fox because he helped them and the witch is there and um, she calls him a traitor and says all this stuff and the fox goes I'm so sorry your majesty and she said oh don't try to whatever, uh, flatter me now it's not going to work and he goes I wasn't talking to you because he was talking like the fox knew. And don't you know, the Bible talks about, I'm going to fall. Um, the Bible talks about that uh, all of creation is waiting for the sons and daughters to be manifest. That movie portrayed that perfectly. Like, like they want us to walk around and, and to bless it. Like the animals are waiting for us to cry out and to, to bring. Jesus redeemed everything. He redeemed all of creation, the curse. Everything has been broken, and so it's up to us to go and bring the kingdom and to tell, to speak life into situations, and to, they're wanting us. Like, we are the sons and the daughters of God. We are the kings and priests of this earth, and it's time for us to not see ourselves as defeated, and we're sinners, and nothing works for us, and to go, yo, I am a son of God, and I am going to bring this kingdom, and I have a purpose. You are all important, and until you are doing what God has made you to do, there is incompleteness in this world. So, I would like to have an opportunity for testimony, because when you get a breakthrough in your life, it's not just for you. It's for the body. It is for everybody. I've got this breakthrough, through, and I'm going to tell you what the Lord did for me. And you know what? The Lord can do it for you. And so I want to just open it up and give people time for testimony because whatever you are needing breakthrough in, somebody here has the breakthrough. Somebody here has been through it, and they can release hope, and they can release faith in your life. And so to make it easy on everyone, because if you're supposed to give a testimony, you know it right now. Because your heart is beating fast and you're going, oh, Lord, not me. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go to the bathroom and nobody will. But you know if you are supposed to give a testimony. And I'm not looking for just healing. Like if you had a wayward child who has been brought home, release it. If you lost something and you found it, release it. We, we, need, we need that. So to make it easy, I've got testimonies from the Dominican. Because for those of you who aren't a part um, of this church. We had a missions trip, had sent a group to Tamboril in the Dominican Republic last week. They flew in Tuesday. And so come back next week to hear all their testimonies and to see all their pictures. It will be our Dominican Sunday. And I'm sure there will be more Spanish singing. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm going to start with just two. Todd said I could have two. 
only two testimonies from the DR, and I know that a lot of you are anxious to hear some of them. So, um, Hannah. And even if this isn't whatever, I'm not sure what she's going to share, but if it is even remotely what you need, grab hold of it. Okay. Hello. Okay, so the on the first day, we... Um, we ate lunch, and then we went to this uh, town called Calbete. Is that right? And then we were there, and we had groups. Ariel, um, Brian, and Kathy were in my group. And um, we had our, a translator. His name was Junior. And we were walking around, and um, Josh, had he went into this home and had prayed for the little boy, I think. And they didn't really, they didn't have a translator, I don't think. And, um, like, so they didn't really know what was wrong with the guy. But, um, so he asked Junior to come and help and translate. And so, um, we all go over there. And the little boy, he has, like, a wheelchair bed kind of type thing. And, um, uh, they were praying for him, and Junior was asking him what was wrong. And he had, he was born with brain damage and couldn't walk and couldn't talk. And, um, so we were praying for him. And towards the end, Josh, like, got him up and was holding him. And he, I think he was pretty much standing by himself. And that was the first time he stood. And then on um, Saturday, I think, Saturday, um, we went to this other town. I'm not sure what was the name of it was. And um, we were praying for this. We went in this home, and it was a lady and her husband. And um, the lady had cancer and um, polio. So her hand was kind of like this. And um, we prayed for her, and her and her husband both accepted Christ. And um, and um, so we were there for a while, and me, we went to the, we were started walking away, and um, Todd and I went back because we were going to, I think Stephen had left his water bottle there or something, and we were going to see if it was there. And her, she had her hands both down straight like this, and they weren't all like this anymore. And um, they, after we left, or when we were leaving, they were like, this is your house. You can come back anytime. And um, on Saturday night, we, were, we had this little event thing. Um, and it was either Saturday or Sunday night. And um, that we were, at the end, we were praying for people. And Abby had told me, um, well, most of y'all know we were, kind, we were, most of the team was kind of sick and stuff. But, um. At the end of it, we were praying for people, and Abby had told me that I was going to receive my healing. And um, we were praying for people, and um, after we got done praying for people, I just felt like a whole whole bunch better, like strengthened, and I felt like I, just like a 360. And um, and so I think that um, not that I had done something, not that I had done something like good to pray for people or something, that I was like, disagreeing with the devil of other people's problems that I got my own healing. So, yeah. Ariel. The day that Hannah was talking about um, with the lady with the polio and the cancer, um, the house that we went to next, um, 
for that house with the lady and the husband, I didn't get to actually go into the house and actually pray for him. I just was outside because it was a small house and there was a lot of people in there. So I was outside and praying and everything. Well, the next house that we went to, I was first right up there. I wanted to be the one to, you know, have my hands laid on her and everything. Um, she had like a back brace, like wrap around her. It's kind of like an ace bandage type thing. It wasn't uh, like a metal brace or anything, but she said that she had back pain and she had, she said she had hernias, is that why? Um, and she said that she was a believer and that um, a little while before that, she actually, she said that she walked like with a limp, like her back wasn't straight and that Jesus healed her of that and she wanted to be completely healed. So we, gathered around her, started praying for her. Um, Holy Spirit hit me hard, and <laughs> I went down, and next thing I know, she is um, talking, and the translator is translating what she's saying, um, and that she had no more pain. She was able to go down to the ground, touch her feet a couple of times. She squat down, things that she wasn't able to do before, she was able to do then, and she just praised God. and. Who else wants to share a testimony? I mean, because he's worthy. He's good. Has he not done good things for you? Like, and I don't care how old it is. It can be 15 years ago. But you had a victory then. Somebody may need it now, and you may need to be reminded of it. And there's going to be power that's released when you release that testimony. There's going to be a faith that's released. We all want to see God move, right? We know that he does. Here's your opportunity to participate. Well, I've had many, many things over the years that God has supernaturally done in every area of my life. But one of the most miraculous things to me that he's ever done, um, I was with my daughter, and we were in her truck, a, a big Toyota, so it was far from the ground when you got out. Well, when we pulled up in the driveway, I forgot we was in the truck. I was thinking we were in the car, and I was talking to her, and I opened the door and stepped out. And when I did, I remember her screaming, Mama, and grabbing like this. And the next thing I know, I was sitting as far as from here to that baby in my yard. And laughing, I was just hysterically laughing. I mean, it was just, I mean, I thought, did the neighbors see? You know, because it was like angels just absolutely, I know, just carried me. I remember it was like I was floating. And she came running around, the and she just stood there. And, 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 it, and that, that was just an awesome thing. I mean, God's protection, yes. he protects us. Yes. So if you need protection, grab a hold of that one. He's our protector. Come on, Joyce. I was so excited to be going to the DR, but I was also scared out of my mind. <laughs> Because um, this was, it was all totally new, and I had never done anything like that. I was very much of, um, anybody wants to go, that's just not my thing. I'll be glad to send anybody help do whatever needs to be done to send somebody. And this year, uh, when Todd was talking about it, I'm like, okay, what can we do to raise money? And it's like, you're going. And I'm like, no, not me. Okay, I need to think about some other things about what to do. It's like, you're going. <laughs> and then I go to have lunch with Rochelle and Rhonda Gale, and Rhonda Gale's like, oh, yeah, you're going. She says, and I got the first money here to put on 
you're going. And I'm like, guys, I really need to pray about this because it really scares me <laughs> to be very blunt. Um, and then the next day I go to work and one of the guys comes in and we're talking about it. He says, oh, no, you're going. He lays a $100 bill on my desk. And he says, yep, there you go. You're going. And I can't wait to hear the stories. So as it goes on and it progresses and I'm like, okay, it gets closer and closer here. It's like I am just so scared. And uh, we're having praise one night, and the night before we leave, and uh, Tisha walks up to me, and I said, I don't know if I can do this. And Tisha's like, sometimes you just need to scream. You need to find your yell. You need to yell. You need to shout to the devil to let him know who you are. And it was amazing. I found my shout. And we get there, and it's still kind of intimidating when you see some of the things that you're going to see. But then it's like, without getting into it, so much I have never felt so free and so in love with the Lord with the people that I didn't want to come home to me that is home I have found a new home um, but there is just so much freedom because I think at that point too some of the things where we saw and some of the things you did you had to walk, you had to trust the Lord. It was one of those you really did have to walk through it. Uh, we went through the Kaibet day, the first day we were praying over the land, and we were ministering from house to house. And the very first house we go to, Jackie is amazing. She's, Jackie is just the bold. And she walks up, we were with Pastor Raphael and Pastor Bruce. And, you know, we just start loving on these people, and the three ladies came to Christ. And it was really amazing that. At one of the crusades, the last crusade that we had, they showed up. And it was just like, oh, wow. And there is so much more to tell. But on this trip, I'm not afraid anymore. I have spent so much time being afraid. And I'm not afraid anymore that I'm like really ready to say, okay, just watch the movie. That was such an awesome, that was such an awesome word because it's like, okay, what's going to happen? But no, that is an awesome word. It's like, okay, because I know what's in my heart now. It's like, okay, when God, when, but it's like, okay, just watch the movie. And I got it. So. <laughs> So that was provision and freedom from fear and receiving a calling, answering your calling, maybe. So if you've got those things, grab a hold of that testimony. Anybody else? I'm going to just call these kisses from God. We uh, went on a trip to Germany, and at the very end of it, we're turning in our rent car. And on the way there, we're saying, oh, we've got to fill up the car. Well, we forgot. And we drove in to return it, and the guy, with his look of shock, he says, oh, you did not fill up the tank. And we're thinking, big deal. How much is it to fill it up? And he said, four or five dollars a liter. And we said, oh, big deal. And that meant we had to drive off the airport to find a place. This is not easy driving when you get into the airport. And uh, we're looking a little panicked. And the guy said out of the blue, I'll take you to the gas station. 
And then we needed to go find our, we were supposed to be picking up our bus, which is leaving mom, our 80-year-old mother, to drive this guy to the gas station. And uh, the lady that's showing us where we're supposed to go, she says, well, would you mind driving her to the gas station? Now, who would think of that at a rent car place but our father? And he said, sure. So he drove her over to the first gas station. Her credit card didn't, took her to another one, brought her back with a full car. That was a kiss. We weren't even asking for it. And, um, and then the second one was um, my husband and I have been on the East Coast since the end of April. And we had a nail in our tire in New York. We got it plugged, drove the vehicle down. Uh, we're doing a, this. We needed an empty vehicle to pick up our kids from the airport. Ours is full from stuff from New York. So my mom said we could drive her car. She's going to drive ours up. In the hurricane, she's driving our car to do some little business, and that plug came out. And she happened to be right by one of her best friend's tire repair shop. And this size tire is not in every store. He didn't have one. He happened to have one used tire to put it on. That's a kiss from God. And it was, it was a very bad hole in the tire from this. And, it, you know, with all the traveling, we're doing the traveling. This could have been a big problem. We didn't know to ask about it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, King of Glory. Amen. Anybody else? And I just want to say, uh, this is important. Guys, we are in a battle, and we're in this together. And so we... It's important to give the Lord the glory and to show other people that you can overcome whatever you're in. Man, I was sitting there thinking, no, not me. And God said, yes, you do. Um, my wife, my family, and I have been coming for a little while now. And um, you know, y'all don't know us, but we all know the Lord. Um, my wife and I have been married 26 and a half years. And uh, God had promised us children. Through many words, he promised us children. It took us 14 and a half years to see the promise. 14 and a half years of feeling like Abraham. When's it coming? Um, and so we finally did. We were expecting my oldest son. And... Um, about three months before he was supposed to be born, my wife got put in the hospital with high blood pressure, and they told us the baby had to come. And they told us, you know, we're at women's hospital in Greensboro, and they start taking us through the neonatal unit, and they start trying to prepare us for the inevitable and everything, and telling us, at this point, your baby doesn't weigh two pounds. He has to be born. He has, you know, C-section. We can't put stress on him. We've got to get him delivered. And by the way, you need to prepare yourself. He's probably not going to live. I remember. I remember them wheeling us through the neonatal unit with my wife in a wheelchair holding this little baby doll that was about two pounds so that she could have an idea of how big he was going to be when he was born. 
and us knowing that according to what they were saying, he wasn't even that big. But again, we're still going, but God said. God said that we would not cast forth our seed before it was time. He promised that child. And I'm so blessed that one of our dearest friends who walked through that with us is here with us today. God had us in such a place of faith at that time. I even had to call my mother, who wasn't in church at the time, and tell her what was going to happen. And tell her, Mom, this is where we're believing. He is going to live. He is going to be born. He's going to be fine. And we were also believing, because they tell you certain things. You know, they're very thorough and they're very scary because of the truth that they have to tell you. They let us know that most likely he was going straight on a ventilator as soon as he was born. Well, we said, God, we're believing you. He is not going to go on a ventilator. I call my mom and tell her, this is what's happening. We want you to be here, but you need to understand, we are not standing in doom and gloom. We're standing in faith because my God promised, and my God is faithful to deliver on what he promises. If you can stand with us, we want you there. If you can't, we understand, but you need to stay home. That's a strong stand to have to take with your family. But we couldn't afford doubt and unbelief in that room, in that place. Just couldn't give it room. My wife's birthday was April 10th. She celebrated with her diet lemonade from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Because we have a hookup, and uh, oh me. Um, the next morning, she went in for a C-section. They brought my child out. I sat there and watched, and I don't do blood. I don't do it. I get squeamish. I sat there at my wife's head, and I watched the entire thing because I wanted to see him come out. By the way. He's sitting right here. <laughs> he weighed one pound, 12 ounces. And we rejoiced. And the word I got back from my mother-in-law later that afternoon was, your mom sat there in, in the waiting room and she said, I know he's going to be fine because their faith is strong. I said, if that's the most she could say, that was good. That was on a Thursday, early Sunday morning. I get a phone call. They found a perforation in his intestine. They had to do surgery. Again, they're telling us he's probably not going to survive it. My God's faithful. If you don't know anything else, my God is faithful. He promises, he delivers, and he keeps his word. No matter what the enemy says in your face, God's faithful. God is good. He's just good. Anybody else?
and if you're really, really hungry, we can do the same works as Jesus. I'm sure we can find some crackers and some water and multiply it and pass it around, so don't freak out. I'm going to try to make this short because I'm a storyteller and a, pic, a picture painter to give you all the details. But I'm going to tell a story of my best friend of a couple of years ago who had gotten really sick. And the sickness, to make it short, derived from a lot of unforgiveness and bitterness that had been stirred up toward a pastor that she knew and a lot of things. So she had asked me to, she's in Miami. She'd asked me, she said, please, can you come down here? Because she was so sick, she'd lost so much weight. And when I got there, I couldn't hardly touch her. But some things had transpired. I had moved down there for a short period of time to work for her husband, and things ended up not so great between he and I on the return home. So going down there, it was like this was the first time I was going to be around him since all of this had happened, and there needed to be forgiveness flowing there. You know, like going down, my purpose in praying to the Lord was healing and forgiveness and a lot of different areas. So when I got off the plane in Miami, you could almost cut the air with a knife. It, the tension was so great. So when I got to see her and touch her to hug her, I couldn't hardly touch her because she was in so much pain. And I have a prayer team, that we, a lot of prayer warriors that we pray together a lot, and we prayed over the phone Monday night for her healing. We prayed for her healing Tuesday morning. And Tuesday night, God woke me up four times to thank him for her healing. And Wednesday morning, I'm in the kitchen with her husband, Stan, and I go to him and I, and I tell him that I want to apologize for any pain or suffering that I've caused him in his life and ask his forgiveness for it. And at that moment, the atmosphere was cut and was shifted and was changed and forgiveness flowed. This, we've been best friends for 30-some years. I mean, going back and forth down there, and we'd always have to take the dogs for a walk. We're in Coral Gables. I have to take the dogs for a walk, and he's never gone with us. But every night from then on, he jumped up, bounced off the sofa, and went with us. And so also, I called the pastor because I had gotten to know them very well also when I was there, and I told Pastor Hector, I'm coming down. And so he said, well, let's get together and something. So after I got there, I called him, and we were going to have, I was going to meet him and his wife and have lunch, and I told my friend Denise, I said, I'm going to have lunch with Pastor Hector. She goes, do you think I could go? And I was like, yes. So the forgiveness got to flow between them, and it was even spoken that most of what her sickness was had been like the bitterness in her, in her gallbladder, and you know, like a gall bitterness. But she has been completely healed of cancer. She had cancer. She never went through the radiation, never went through the chemo, never went through the treatment. So she'd been completely healed to this day. We were at a conference that this happened in June. And in August, we were at a conference in Charlotte. And I had videos of her dancing wildly before our king, praising him and worshiping him. So this is a story about healing and forgiveness, major, major forgiveness, because much disease and things are is about unforgiveness and bitterness. So... God says he can't forgive us if we don't forgive. And if we don't forgive, he'll turn us over to the tormentor. So forgiveness, instantaneous forgiveness is major key in our walk with our king. Thank you. Isn't this good? Yeah, I'll come here. Sorry. This doesn't mean I don't believe in healing, okay? <laughs> Just want to clarify that. None of you guys know me. My name is Lois Seller. It's only my second time here because it's Shelly and Terry. They love it here. The praise and worship is sweet, prophetic, beautiful. Thank you. Um, I got back from Florida a couple weeks ago, and on both my husband's sides, our families are not saved. None of our siblings are saved. None of their spouses or anything and whenever they come to our house, we always have to pray up before they even come because of what comes with them. 
And so we went down to Florida, and my husband's family is down there in Clearwater, and one of his brother-in-laws has just had his voice box removed because of cancer. And he was always very verbally abusive to his wife. His children have taken on that same spirit, is what I call it, of abuse towards their mother. And whenever they come to our house, we're continually beating that spirit down with love. Anyway, he can't talk now. And so when we were going to visit them, I've asked all my family, please pray that I will be able to minister to him while we are down there. And it's a very intimidating atmosphere, so I'm talking about boldness. But it's a very intimidating atmosphere because my husband's other brother is there and his partner. And so there's just a lot of things going on down there. And so when we walk in the house, Vinny is facing the TV, and behind him are a couple other couches. And so I zero in on Vinny. His wife, which is my sister-in-law, my husband's sister, is telling me the whole story of Vinny's cancer. And my husband's talking to the other brother and his partner, and the, her phone rings, and she says, I have to get this. <laughs> it was God. <laughs> Because then I sat down next to Vinny, <laughs> and my husband said when he saw me sitting down, it was like a radar. I was zeroing in, and I asked him, you know, if you were to die, do you know whether you go to heaven or hell? And he's like, he can't talk. He's like, I said, well, where do you want to go? And he's like, and I'm like, do you know how to get there? And he's like, and I said, would you mind if I prayed with you? And I talked to him about salvation. And I got to pray the prayer of salvation for him. And it was so powerful. And I wasn't crying and I wasn't emotional. And it was because the prayers were there ahead of me. And they had already set the atmosphere and they'd set the tone. And my brother-in-law, who was there with his partner, had walked by us to go out to the breezeway and came back in. And that's when I was praying with Vinny. So I know that seed's been planted in Robert's life, too. So his name is Vinny. You don't know me. You don't know him. But the Holy Spirit knows him. And I told him that he will probably be the only godly example his boys will ever have. And I asked him if he had a Bible, and he said yes. And I said, please start reading it every day. I can't call him on the phone and talk to him. He can't talk. So I'm through the Holy Spirit. I know that God's making a change in him and that I know that's that eternal seed being planted for the rest of his family. So we got one of them for God. <laughs> now we got to work on the rest of them. So anyway, thank you for listening. I wanted to share that with somebody. And it's just exciting to me because, again, both of our families, nobody is saved except for our family. So it's a big process. And one's Florida, the other part's in California. But with the Holy Spirit, there's no distance. And so we just pray by the Holy Spirit that laborers are being sent across their paths because I, we can't be in all places in all times. So thank you for listening. I just figured since she was right here, just go ahead and hand it. Um, about a year ago, this is going to be news for several of you guys. Um, I became pregnant. Do you see a child? Um, unfortunately, in August, uh, started having some problems and went to the doctor on one Friday afternoon. And they were doing an ultrasound, and I was supposed to have been nine weeks the very next day. 
and they uh, doing ultrasound, and they put the Doppler up. And I didn't, this is our first child, so this is all brand new to me. And I, they put the Doppler up, and it was just straight lines all the way across. And I said, what is that? And they said, that's the Doppler. And I was like, that's supposed to be measuring movement. This isn't good. And so um, just looking at the tech, I know whenever I went back to change, Brooke saw the doctor's facial expression, knew that was a problem. That's a problem. So whenever I came back out, she said, you're either only really six weeks along, because that's what you're measuring, or the baby only grew six weeks and the baby's gone. Now, again, like I said, I was supposed to be nine weeks. So that was on Friday afternoon. Um, tried to make it to my nephew's ball game. I was like, I am not going to let this ruin my night. So I got there at like 20 minutes left in the ballgame because he had a soccer game. So um, went through Saturday, went through Sunday. Um, actually met with Tish on Sunday morning, had some prayer over it. And the coolest thing was, too, Joyce's picture that she did that day. Um, being only six weeks along, you don't know if it's a boy or a girl. But the picture that she did that morning was just phenomenal. If there's any way I could get a copy of it, I'd love it. But um, She gave me a picture that she took of it. Um, so anyway, that night at like 1130, um, it started and I said, Brooke, it's time to go. So we went to the emergency room at literally midnight that night. So we get there and, um, a coping mechanism of my entire family is humor. So I'm literally in the triage, the start of a miscarriage, cracking jokes. I had my triage nurse laughing at me. So I went to one and had that, and then I went to the other triage nurse, and she was a little bit more serious. But I looked at Brooke, and I said, this is weird. He said, what? I said, I have the hugest sense of peace right now. Like, it was just totally over me. And he goes, good. Because <laughs> he was kind of like, I don't know about this. So we went back to the um, emergency room, and the nurse that I had, now this was totally God, she had had four miscarriages herself, three different types, her first miscarriage was the exact same thing I had. So not only was she able to help me out with, with different things. She was like, how are you doing? I was like, surprisingly well right now. I mean, it was totally weird. I mean, just a whole, whole piece, sense, a whole piece. And um, so she was able to give me a couple of pointers that I normally wouldn't have had. And I was able to ask her questions for somebody who's been through it that she was able to help me out with. So I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting on the, I don't know if we're waiting on the doctor or the ultrasound or what. But I'm just, like, looking up, and I'm sitting there thinking. Brooke said, what are you thinking about? And I said, I know where our child is. This was a child. I said, I'm just wondering who was taking care of our child until we get there. And Brooke was like, hmm. So last month, I looked at Brooke and said, happy Father's Day. This is your first Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. And um, just, just knowing the freedom that can come with that. Because then I started thinking, well, if my child's up there, and it was just out of the blue, I had woman after woman after woman after woman after woman coming up to me telling me, I've been through this years myself. I've had a miscarriage. I've had this miscarriage or whatever. Just the number of between the miscarriages and the abortions that are going on, how many children are up there in heaven? just waiting. I mean, there's like a monster of a nursery up there just with that. And I really think that with me having the sense of the freedom and the peace that I've had, it's kind of, I'm supposed to tell other people as well, because I know a lot of other women go through this.
purpose of this was just to release hope, going, do you know what, that's the past you're bringing into your present so you can persevere and stand firm.